0: Bad Company, Episode 23 So, you're the shell Moira's all in a tizzy about. You don't look at her. Chiyoko just sort of lurks in your lab all the time now, and it annoys you. For the past week, ever since you'd agreed to stay on with Mother, this creature has decided you and it should be best friends, or frenemies, or whatever deluded relationship it wanted and refused to tell you. The whole thing made your head itch and was ridiculously uncomfortable. There was a strong family resemblance. You continue fiddling with the power unit. You know I'm building this specifically so Mother can lock you up and harvest you for all eternity, right? This time you want to see her flinch, have some sort of reaction, anything. You're doomed to disappointment. She shrugs. I know. You stop and turn to face her, frustrated and confused. So why are you letting me do it? Shouldn't you be killing me or her or something? Her expression doesn't change. She combs her beautiful white natural hair and stares at you with dead eyes. I don't give a fuck about you. Or whatever you do. Let's be very clear about that. She stands so that she can move toe-to-toe with you, and her little shell stares up. Mm. You're intimidated, though you don't exactly know why. There's just something so intense about her. You're nothing, she continues. Do you understand that? You're a piece of technology, nothing more than a hand radio or a comlink you're nothing. Even though she's a good foot and a half shorter than you, the violent hatred in her words make you step back. She gives you a vicious little smile. I don't understand what Moira sees in you. She turns as if to go and you breathe a sigh of relief. As if she hears you, she turns back for a moment to say, you know, if I were in charge, I'd dissolve you in acid just to make sure you died as slowly as possible and all your data was warped beyond recovery. Oof, you think, watching her leave, shaken in spite of yourself. She is scary. You duck down to finish the last of the power relay installation and then lean back to see the whole unit. Maybe, if we're very, very lucky, she'll kill Birkenthiel and then herself and save us all the hassle. You run the conversation back in your head and then up the power generation by another 20%. Someone with that much hatred would likely have a pretty powerful mind. Nothing wrong with beefing up the containment field a little. Maybe I should have said something about Hoshi? Does that work for females? Telling them you're banging their brother? Somehow I don't think that's a thing. You pause for a second. Thinking about Hoshi makes you sad, and now you have to dump a dopamine charge into your blood to recover. It's a waste of dopamine. Oh well. I'm sorry, Hoshi. It was fun while it lasted. You're tired and cranky and having a hard time putting yourself back into that flow state of equations and simulations your main mentum processor is still since your main mentum processor is still offline You stretch a little and your attention's caught by the neat array of electric blue bottles carefully arranged in your chemical cabinet a thin layer of glass between you and sweet sweet relief You try to remind yourself that Hoshi fixed all those connections, that the ration supplement was more than enough energy to run your shell, that you didn't need any snow, but your eyes drift back to the bottles. Finally, you gather them up and stuff them into a cabinet with a solid door, somewhere you don't have to look at them. Hoshi healed you. Do you want to be an addict again? Do you want to live on the deaths of other sentient beings? Is that the person you kind of that is that the kind of person that you want to be? On the other hand, that implies I'll survive. You're scolding yourself, trying to get the motivation not to use them. But you didn't stop Mother from putting them there, and you can feel your will starting to weaken with the additional calculation load that the containment field and viral code was pulling on you. And there was no Hoshi to take the pain away or distract you from your reduced computing power. You shiver again and turn away from the cabinet. You're going to lose, says Chiyoko from behind you, and you jump with a squeak of startlement that's very undignified. Gee, God, woman, just go away, you yell at her. Why are you always here? Don't you have a corporation to run? I can run four shells at one time, she says nonchalantly. I'm very good at multitasking. And right now, I wanna know why you're so special. Why she wants you so much. Why Hoshi wants you. Who knows, you grumble under your breath as you start working on the plasma field generator. Maybe because I'm the only one that can design a torture device for her favorite madwoman of an employee. Does she ever talk about me? You're the only one she meets with, you know. Chiyoko perches her shell on one of the counters near you. Is that because you're the only one she trusts? She doesn't trust me, Chiyoko. She knows what I can do, and she can control me easier than you, that's all. Why? Why what? Why can she control you more easily? Haven't I done exactly what she's wanted? I took over a rival for her. I found her precious toy. I haven't even killed her yet. Why does she like you better? Oh my god, Chiyoko, are you jealous? The thought had literally never occurred to you, and the realization makes you put your head in your hands for a moment in pure abject horror. Organic sensibilities. What the fuck is wrong with you? You swivel to look at her. Her expression is still the usual deadpan blank slate, but something about it reminds you reminds you of the first time you held Hoshi after his is using in that faraway warehouse. That same helpless acceptance in a very different face. Have you forgotten what it's like to be loved? She doesn't twitch, just stares with unblinking eyes. Seriously, mother will never love you. She's not your mother. She's not anything. No one is going to love you. I mean, since you're a murdering sociopath with delusions of world domination. You know that, right? Like, all the good parts of your personality got burned out somewhere along the line, and you're just psychotic now. Did you need me to tell you that? She's not your mother either, but you call her mother. Doesn't that make you just as much of a sociopath? I'm different, you say, but you stutter over the words as you realize you can't remember why you're different or what you even are anymore. Not human, not android, just alone. She's watching you and you know she's listening to your thoughts. She eyes you for a minute, then moves to the cabinet with the snow and brings a vial to you. Do it. You look from her to the vial and back again. Isn't that your you know, soul or whatever in there? Probably, she says. Then you have my permission, from one psychopath to another. You know how good it would feel, and you know how strong I am. She shakes it a little, and you swallow. And you know that the stronger the sunyata, the more pure the snow. And I'm very, very strong. She brings up one of your hands and put the vial in. Do it. With my blessing. Your lips are dry and you don't realize you've said Hoshi's name until a flash of emotion arcs across Chiyoko's face. Her eyes narrow and you can almost feel her disgust with you. Do it, she hisses at you. You know I'm going to finish this and I'm going to lock you away for eternity, right? You can't take your eyes off the vial. I'm going to make you beg for death when this is done. She gives you a small chuckle. You're certainly welcome to try, Mentum. She takes your other hand and wraps it around the application syringe, punching through the top of the vial with you and guiding your hand to the injection port on your palm as the vial falls into the curl of your fingers. Good little shell, she says softly as you start the injection. I'm going to break you, break you into a million pieces. You're worthless, you understand? Worthless. But you can barely hear her. The rush of the drug is filling you up. Your eyes are closed as information, precious data explodes through you. It's better than sex. It's better than anything. It's the thing you were literally created for and the intoxication of it washes you away as all your processors snap into perfect function and coordination. Every cell in your body wakes up and starts transmitting information, humming in beautiful synchronicity. In your mind, you can see the containment unit coming together effortlessly. You can see the viral code You can see everything that you've ever wanted to build or create in every minute detail and you're wrapped in the joy of it why did i think i was wrong occurs to you as your fatigue vanishes and your muscle aches disappear and you throw yourself into the shape of your projects with a savage intensity you don't notice when chiyoko slips out of the room smiling days or maybe weeks later you can't tell anymore the containment unit is done Beautiful in its symmetry and elegance of use. You've forgotten everything but the clean flood of information and construction. You don't notice that Mother is in the room until she coughs delicately and brushes a hand against yours. The shock of that information ricochets up your spinal cord and you drink in the novel sensation. Very good, Cass. I see this is even better than your original design. Yes, Mother. The design is a modified plasma field generator linked to a magnetic resonance amplifier that will target the material components of- that's enough, dear. You know I'm not a details type of woman. She runs her hands over the unit. And can it be operated by anyone? Oh yes, you tell her, it's very simple. You don't need to have an automatic uplink or embedded digital communication like the original. This is simply a button. There's a remote option and a harvesting option that generates a powerful magnetic field that will disrupt psionic activity without damaging organic components. Mother seems disappointed and you feel a tremor in your insides. So, she says, the employee will have to give up her shell. She won't be able to maintain a physical form. Uh, no, mother. She'll have to stay in her void form. Disappointing, Kaz. I wanted to be able to talk with her now and then. You're confused. Why? You wouldn't understand, dear, you don't have the same needs as a human. A whisper of air slips around you and you sense Chiyoko. Hello, Chiyoko. You wave to the containment unit without looking at her. You'd know that presence anywhere. Your prison is ready. So it is. I knew today was going to be special. She focuses on Birkenthiel. Well, Moira, how are you expecting to get me pent up again? trapped for your little farming experiment. I hope it's an interesting plan." She pauses and moves to your side to cock her hip in a dismissive gesture as she smiles at mother. Though, knowing you, it's not. Your constant lack of forethought is really amazing for a woman in your position. Birkenthiel blinks as if surprised to see Chioko, and even more surprised that you've told her about the prison. Kaz, did she know all along? You sniff and realize that the snow is wearing off. You need another vial. You move to the cabinet, but there's nothing there. There should be one or two left somewhere. But you reach out your senses to try and find it, answering absently. Of course she knew. You never asked me to keep it a secret. It was implied, Kaz. Nothing is implied, you whisper, opening more cabinets. Everything should be transparent. Just the ebb and flow of data. Mother, I need more snow. I've run out. I have several other projects, to. Be quiet, she cuts you off. There is no more snow. She looks at Chiyoko. You knew that, didn't you? Is this because of you? Chiyoko lets her head fall to the side in almost innocent pleasure. Of course, Moira. Who do you think got our little whiz kid the last batch? Your hands are shaking, and the ecstasy is rapidly declining. You can feel the information flood slowing to a trickle. Oh. You say, looking at your hands, now starting to shake. They are filthy. You are dimly aware that you haven't eaten, slept, or bathed in a while, a long while. You thought you would be more afraid when it happened, or afraid at all, but you're not. You're very calm, with a moment of regret not to see Hoshi again. Well, you say, this is about to be fairly painful for me then. I'd say so, Sho. Chiyoko walks over to you and places her hand on your head. You lean down for her to do it without consciously thinking of it, and her smile widens. I think it's time for you to suffer a little Mentum. As her fingers touch your skin, the snow abruptly vanishes from your system and you go into full withdrawal. Your lungs fill with fluid as the cells spontaneously explode. Your eyes roll back into your head as pain rockets down your spinal cord and through every neural link you have, trapping you in an endless feedback loop of madness and pain. And for the first time in a long time, you feel a moment of peace as you activate your self-destruct code as you hit the floor. Just as you trigger the wireless transmittal of the complete viral code that will activate the containment unit and start the data wipe of Thiel Industries, you hear your mother's stifled scream of her own death. You feed the last of your processing power and all the energy of your death pain into the transmittal and hear the containment unit fire on clever computer, you hear dimly from somewhere above you, very clever, just not quite clever enough. And then you're drowning in your own lungs and your neural net short circuits into nothingness. Chioko You watch the android fall to the floor shaking even as you grip Moira's mind tightly in your own and crack her sanity into tiny pieces. You feel her madness even as you hold up a simple laser pistol to shoot her in the head. You don't bother to look at her you don't need to it's just all hideously boring and disappointing you drop the pistol and sigh so disappointing so easy and anticlimactic you had at least expected more from the android a sudden whine from the containment unit startles you You almost don't see the flash of an expanding magnetic field, but you quickly dump the natural shell where she's standing and retreat back to the safety of your slim box tucked in a forgotten communications room on the bottom decks. Hastily, you throw up the protective shielding that had disrupted the mentum not so long ago and wait until the pulse fades away. The small slide of adrenaline and challenge perks your interest again. Moving into the grow labs of Moira's personal office, you activate a very special natural shell Moira had grown for her own organ replacement, a very special natural shell that she didn't realize you had modified to accept a soul stone and, a metas- and metapsionic control. You slip into your new body with a crack Oops, creak. of stiff bones and muscles as you stretch. It was comfortable. Different than the SEMA clones that Moira had given you, heavier, larger, you felt more powerful in this body, and it pleases you. You take a breath and feel the oxygenated liquid moving through your new lungs as you activate the ejection sequence and step out into the world. You dry off and pull on the spare uniform Moira always keeps in her bottom desk drawer before walking down the corridor to Kaz's lab. You like the way the guards salute you and the way people don't meet your eyes, oh yes you think. This will do nicely. Very pleased with yourself. You open the doors to see the containment unit powering off, expended for nothing, and the dead body of the woman who tortured you for so long. You nudge her with your foot and watch the blood pool underneath her shattered skull. You take a seat in one of the high-backed chairs to watch her. No one would bother the Thiel CEO in Kaz's lab. Everyone knew she didn't like to be disturbed when visiting her favorite creation, And if anyone wondered why she was seen entering the room twice without exiting, well, most people were idiots. Finally, you crouch down next to her and brush the hair away from her forehead. She looked much older now, with her skin gone white and her eyes milky. You drag her body into the containment unit and crank up the power, loosening the electrical connections enough to start a spark and douse the body in a liter of ethanol, careful not to actually engage the machine, and watch Moira Birkenfield burn. You genuinely thought it would be more satisfying, but the black hole in your heart doesn't feel any smaller. If anything, it might be a little bigger. But you admire the machine. Truly, it was excellent work. Simple, elegant. It would have been highly effective if its designer hadn't been so limited. You look over at the Mentum. Shame. There was great potential in the thing. As you look at its broken body, you think you might finally understand what Moira saw in it, a computer trying to be human, failing at being either, and so desperate for some measure of affection or comfort that it could build you anything, do anything for you. Kaz's lab smells like death now and it's bothersome. You activate the cleaning servos to deal with the remains in the containment unit and wander over to the Mentum. It's still twitching slightly, but probably from random electrical signals in the dying organic systems. The Mentum processor was definitely offline, along with the neural net. You grasp it. Grasp its slender chin and twist the head around so you can see the face, again. It annoys you, deeply annoys you, to think that your brother was in love with this thing, this abomination, that he wanted it so badly he defied you. Stupid Jiro, you think, all that for this failure. It couldn't even stand against me for five minutes. But the technology was remarkable. You trail your fingers down the androids' ruined limbs thinking about all the information in those cells, all the computational power that could be possible with the mechanical organic matrix, the creativity and self-organization that it had. What a shame to waste that. A thought occurs to you. Maybe I could use it as one of my personal shells. Have access to all that power without having to deal with the grating Mentem personality. Just burn it out and keep the shell's physical form and computing power. You prod it with your mind and find there's not much left anyway. Its heart still beats, but barely, and the data banks with memories and personality data seem trash. Excellent. You drag it up onto one of the unused biobeds in the lab and activate the cryostasis function, sealing it up safely for future use. Someone is knocking loudly on the lab door. What? You bark, not ready to be interrupted in this final act of a game you've waited so long to complete. Miss Birkenthiel, I'm so sorry to trouble you, but the whole network is down. All of our data is... You open the door to stare down at the unknown staffer. He blinks in surprise. Ah, Miss Birkenthiel, the company's servers are wiped. Security's down. We have no net access, nothing. You're shocked. Your new empire was in those servers. Decades of research, customers, private and public deals. How is this possible? He shrugs helplessly. It was a virus. From the inside, but we've never seen anything like it. Ma'am, please, we need you in operations right now. The division chiefs are looking for your instructions. Mm. you say with a quick jut of your chin. I'll expect Wu Xing there as well. You have a quick spurt of pleasure to realize that you would be running Wuxing, running the Wu Wing as well as Thiel, and no one would know. It sends a tingle up and down your new spine. The staffer nods and takes off down the hall, presumably to get everything ready for you, and it feels good. Very good. You gently close the door and seal it with the electric lock using Moira's personal code. Hours later, you're alone in the dark in Moira's quarters. The great windows in the public rooms show a beautiful nebula, a nursery for stars, lovely in the dark. But you're not really seeing them. You sit in her chair, watching the view through her windows, a victor. Her kingdom is yours. The Annoying Mentum is as good as dead. You have her body, her things, her whole life. But after the adrenaline of the coup, after the sweet thrill of seeing all the division chiefs looking to you for direction, taking commands through this capitalist crisis, running a little seema natural to command the Wuxing clan. After all that, with no more decisions to be made or missions to design, it was just you alone in the dark with an empty crown. You hear the door whisk open, but you don't need to turn to look who it is, to see who it is. Two familiar presences are in the room with you. Hello, Jiro, you say, Lirander, I trust you found the place all right. You motion to the chairs next to you. Come and sit. I'm sure we can find some sort of alcohol for you, if you would like that. You glance at the Lorandar as she sits to your left, though I believe Temperance monks do not take alcohol. You are correct, she says, as Jiro takes the chair to your right. Brother, you ask, something to eat or drink? If I recall right, you didn't quite have the hang of it when we were children. He doesn't smile or respond. You look back out at the stars, suddenly exhausted. You're late, you say when the silence gets to be too much. I was expecting you yesterday. You catch Jiro's eyes. Your momentum is dead. He nods. I know. Do you? You look back out the window. How tedious, then. There is a long pause, and you give up trying to fight it. Finally, the lorander says, So you've won, then. You have everything you wanted, don't you? "Mm." you agree. How does it feel to win? Your brother asks quietly. Are you happy now? There is no happiness, brother. Happiness is a lie we tell to children so they don't suicide before they bring more bodies into the world. You stop. I wish I'd never materialized. I wish i never existed. I can send you back, the Lorander says quietly. No more pain, no more suffering, just the void. You know what I was and what I am. I can send you home. Home. You repeat the word, hoping that you can feel something. Home. What is a home, I wonder? Do you know, Lorander? Your family is all dead. I killed them to take control of their company to sell it into Thiel service. Do you have a home now, human?" "'Nope,' she answers. Her calm irritates you. "'Then how about you, Jiro? Your ship is insane and close to death. Your lover is dead. Your family is dead. Do you have a home?' "'No,' he says with the same calm as the monk. You were my only hope for a home, and you're a psychopath." Mm, "'So I am.' There's another pause. Monk, what am I? You look at your hands. Can you take away all these bad parts of myself? Can you make me who I was before? No. You could, though. With time. You could redeem yourself, if you wanted. Or you could go back to the void to rest. It's your choice. She opens her hand to you, almost like she's giving you a gift. You know you're stronger than me. Much, much stronger. I won't force you. Jiro certainly won't force you. We can't. You'd squish us. I love you, Chio. no matter how evil you are. I'm not evil. At least I didn't think I was evil. I don't really know anymore. You feel empty profoundly empty inside. I thought winning would be enough. I wanted all this power and now I have it. People depend on me. I run the most powerful company in the galaxy, even if our computer systems are currently down. You give a side glance to Jiro. The Mentum died well, infected our whole system to shut us down. We've lost decades worth of research and projects that will cost billions, including the recipe for snow. Jiro closes his eyes and exhales in a tiny gesture of amusement. Cass had a lot of fire. A lot of asshole, but a lot of fire. It's good to know it lasted right up until the end. What do I do now, monk? you ask. You can't kill me. I don't want to go back to the void. But I'm trapped in a world that hates me. What do I do now? Stay, she says, and you look at her in surprise. She shrugs. You're a CEO. The Terran and Technocrat economy depends on you. If Thiel and Wuxing fail, a lot of people will suffer and a lot of sectors will starve. Stay. Serve. Maybe you can earn that power you took and maybe you deserve the captivity of leadership. What's the captivity of leadership? Well, you'll never be free now. You can never live for yourself. Assassins from every corporate outfit will come for you. Thousands will depend on you. Your choices will ripple through civilization both in time and space. You'll be a villain and a savior to a whole generation of people. She shrugs again. It sounds like a prison and punishment in and of itself to me. You're just going to let me go? It had never occurred to you that you would actually win. You would be here that someone wouldn't be trying to hurt you you didn't plan for this you'd prepared to kill them you prepared to kill the monk even jiro but this outcome wasn't one you'd anticipated but i've killed people doesn't that matter to you you whisper the last part as if you're asking yourself of course but honestly who hasn't says jiro It's a rough world out there. Chiyoko, who else will lead Thiel if you don't do it? Anyone else would die. Corporate warfare would break out, and well, you're still my sister. To be honest, I don't really care about anyone else. Even if you are evil, you're all I have left. I killed Kaz. Jiro shrugs. I'll bring Kaz back. Don't worry about it. You give him a sharp look. Since when did you get that strong? Since I grew up, Gio. Jeez, stay. Keep your power if it's what matters to you. Just give me Kaz. And I'll take your advice. I'll find a nice clinic in the middle of nowhere and heal until my pontifax burns out. Just don't make me be all alone, please. You look at the Lorandar. If I offered you a place here at Thiel, would you stay? Why? She asks warily. To take me home, if I ask you to. And maybe to help me? Help me remember what I was and... Repent? The word grinds out of you. You can't look at her, but you can feel her and Jiro exchange some kind of communication. You don't try to eavesdrop. You don't want to know. Finally... Yes. I'll stay with you. You turn to Jiro. And you, maybe I could start a free clinic here. Maybe you could actually get your medical license. Maybe you could make this your home. To help me remember. To keep me sane. Would you stay, if you could have Kaz? You hate Kaz, Jiro says with a chuckle. How much torture would you be in to see us together every day? Would that count towards redemption points? He shoots the last question at the monk with a smile. Of course I'll stay, Chio. Who could turn down these great digs? And don't worry, we all have to do distasteful things every once in a while. Everyone makes mistakes. Who knows what kinds of horrible shit these other corporate technocrat CEOs have done. Hell, you'll probably fit right in. Jiro, the monk says admonishingly, don't encourage her. You're a terrible moral example. Anyway, go find Kaz and fix things. You motion to the door. Down the hall, three doors turn to your left. You touch his mind to give him the code to the lab, and you're surprised at the shot of warmth and genuine love you feel radiating from him. When he was gone, you turn to the Lorandar. He doesn't care what I've done, does he? Nope, she says with a raised eyebrow. Doesn't care at all. He and Kaz specifically designed that virus as a biological carrier to make sure they destroyed Thiel just for you. They were going to rescue you together. You blink. I guess I didn't need rescuing, did I? You look at your hands again. You do, just not in the way we were expecting. Dig deep, Sunyata. You have responsibilities now. Episode 24. You're alive. Well, sort of. You're face down on a bed that smells like pine needles and bad choices. Hoshi. You try to move, but you're so stiff and sore you end up just making a squeaking noise before collapsing back into the softness. Your nose is stuffed and your face feels oddly puffy and swollen. Hoshi, you call out into the amber light towards your peripheral vision. Are you there? The words get stuck in your throat. It's too dry and you cough a little, trying to lick your lips. Even your skin hurts. Good morning, Kaz, comes a familiar voice from somewhere above and behind you. You do get yourself into some interesting predicaments, don't you? "'Did you know that you tried to die on me again? "'It's twice I've saved your life.' "'Hoshi's handsome pontifax appears in front of you "'at an odd angle and upside down. "'You owe me, big time.' "'I don't owe you shit,' you say, "'pathetically grateful he's here "'and absolutely confident that he didn't need to have a bigger ego. "'You were also pretty sure that if you acted pathetic enough "'he would just heal you and make the badness go away. "'I hurt, Hoshi, everywhere. "'What happened?' You try to roll over, and again, everything screams in protest, so, again, you just squeak and lie there. You can't move onto your back yet, Hoshi tells you. I haven't finished regenerating those nerves yet. A horrifying thought strikes you. How are you regenerating nerves, Hoshi? You're not healing me, like with the licking where you take the pain and everything, right? Please don't do the big healing. A little healing is fine. Maybe a pain pill. Or a stim pack would be fine his face appears over you again, this time scowling. Are you telling me how to be a biopsionic? Is this happening right now? Be quiet and don't move around so much. God, Cats, honestly, you are such a pain in the ass. What do you know about healing anyway? His head retreats back behind you and you feel a wave of cooling relief spread over your whole torso. You can't help the little moan of relaxation that slips out. Honestly, he's muttering over you. Six months with a healer, and all of a sudden, look at me, I'm Kaz, I can tell you how to do your job, ridiculous creature. You feel a poke in your butt. Don't lecture me on how to take care of you. Don't think that I didn't notice you poured enough snow into your system to overdose a whole sector, and don't think I didn't notice that all your processors were burned out. Just lie there and shut up for once in your life and get taken care of. Yes, sir, you say sleepily, because whatever he's doing back there does feel ever so much better, and all you really want to do is lie there anyway. A thought makes you startle awake, and Hoshi jabs you in the butt again in rebuke. Wait, Hoshi, your sister, she's... Yes, we know about Chiyoko. We sort of work for her now. Your eyes are fully open at this point. We what? Yep. She offered not to kill us if we'd help her out now and then. His face reappears in front of you. She even offered to send me to medical school, finally, and let you come back as a senior researcher, provided, you know, you can... Why couldn't I, you ask with great suspicion. What have you done to me? 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 I saved your life, you ingrate. You try your best to give him an intimidating stare through the one eye he could see. But um, now that you'd mention it, I did have to remove quite a bit of your implants and your Mentem processor and replace most of your organs with regular ones. You're pretty much a full human now with just a couple shiny parts. What? You try to do a systems check, but nothing responds. You try to do a chemical modification, but there's no chemical system. You try to reach out with any of your mentum senses, but there's nothing but blankness. You do still seem to have your AI processor and a backup system, but most of your data banks are missing. Oh, she, I'm human? Well, not exactly. You're down to, like, 10% augmentation. And I'm pretty sure when you're feeling better, you can expand your AI to pick up another chunk of Mentem processing. But I don't know how to do that, and considering your low opinion of my mechanical and computer skills, I was pretty sure you wouldn't want me to. Goddamn right. No way in hell should you touch any of that, you monster. You breathe. You can't decide if you're happy or sad or crushed that you weren't special anymore. A terrible insecurity washes through you. Hoshi, do you... Do you still like me? Another poke in the butt. Of course I still like you. I love you. Why else would I be reconstructing you almost down to a perfect jackass molecule that you have, albeit without the mentan processing? Well, I'm not special anymore. I'm just a person. Only human. The words feel strange in your mouth. You've never thought of yourself as a person before much less an actual human. 90% human, thank you very much. And good luck for you that I have a soft spot for jackasses, regardless of their augmentation levels. Oh, okay. Something in you relaxes a little at his light tone. He loves me. You're not really sure what that means, but it does make something warm settle in your chest. He's not going to leave me. That's good. Not yet, anyway. Relax, Cass. I'm not going to leave you. You're stuck with me for a while. You scowl even though he's disappeared to continue working on your back and can't see your expression anymore. Quit digging through my head. Stay out. You can't tell me what to do. Trust me, I'm a doctor. No, you're not. Well, I will be. That's close enough. You open your mouth to argue, but Hoshi lays his hand on your forehead. Seriously, Cass, relax. Go to sleep. I'll be right here when you wake up, I promise. Okay, you murmur feeling him pushing his will through your body in a nice slumber-inducing wave. I love you too. Your sister is a raging bitch, by the way, but you're all right. We're going to dinner with her in a couple days. Sleep, Cass. We'll argue about it tomorrow. Okay, So some rough spots in there. I think that I used too simplistic vocabulary in a lot of sections. Uh, Overuse of some word choices. The plot held together pretty well for being completely randomly generated, so no complaints about that. Uh, But it was a little bit simplistic, so I think that probably speaks more to my as a writer than to the actual book, but I'm a little simple. It's alright. Um, let see what else. Character development for Chiyoko was kind of poor. Um, I think that most of the character development was fairly limited and bad stuff... I emphasize bad stuff way too much continuously. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing since Most of those experiences are are pretty personal to my life experience, so I don't, I don't know if that's a huge negative, but it could be a little bit redundant for a reader. So, that's a thought. Uh, Too much swearing. I do like to swear, but I feel like it needs to get toned down a little bit and better placed. Um, Let's see, what are some of these other notes? Uh, I think the I think the next story needs to be a little bit more local. I tend to focus on these really grand like life-changing world-changing kinds of activities so I think that I should try writing something that's much more local because the reason for a lot of these things tends to get subsumed a reason for character development tends to get subsumed into this plot idea of world domination or of you know like galaxy wide um, subterfuge or whatever and that's a really nice thought that's a cool big idea but I don't I don't think that it does me any favors to like keep emphasizing that point So maybe on the next one we'll try something a little bit more local a little bit more close to home and really try and focus on something achievable right? no Galactic Conquest kinds of things. I do really enjoy the randomized process. I think that's brilliant. Uh, The tables are fantastic. I ended up combining a whole bunch of tables from D&D, Stars Without Number, uh, Eberron, The Rising. That's D&D again, but so I ended up combining a whole bunch of different roleplay tables, including Shadowrun, and that is delightful. Um, so you could really pick the RPG sections that you liked or the really effective portions of it and then combine it into the stories and the randomized dice rolling that that gives it its little oomph. So I really liked that. I think Stars Without Number is the easiest one to use because it already has all of the tables built for you. So I could do a straight Stars Without Numbers randomized roll with a local focus and basically write a campaign from a third-person perspective, it would be pretty fun. Otherwise in the writing, uh, very limited vocabulary, but very effective, so I think it's um, very impactful and kind of raw, uh, but very simple. I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing, but it could be an interesting idea to try and make the language a little bit more fleshed out, or go the other way, make it even simpler, like cut it down to uh, screenplay style, where you only see The bare basics um, and you don't have any of the fluff bits. So either one would be really neat. Either try to experiment with some more eloquent fluffy bits or just lean into that simplicity and elegance of use and, and just cut out all the extras into more of a screenplay form. So I'm not sure which one I want to go with. I'm leaning towards screenplay right now because I don't think I have fluffy bits in me. I just don't see that as being fun to write. So I think I might just cut it down to bare bones and just see how deep a cut we can make with that. So it would be a cool idea. Um, This was a fantastic one to write. So I really enjoyed it. This was a writing exercise that got out of hand and I really liked it. So each episode was essentially rolling random tables in whatever RPG I happened to have next to my desk that day. Or whatever I was thinking about. I would just pick the table that was closest to whatever I was thinking about and then roll from there. And that worked really well. So from a writing standpoint, it was really easy to create something and then get into it. So flesh it out and have some ideas and some thoughts, but have that structure waiting for you whenever you needed it. So I really like that. I didn't use my normal technical self on this one, so there were some portions where I could have gone into some actual engineering where I could have treated it seriously. But when I I was rereading Errata the other day and I realized that no one cares about the technical portions at all. (laughs) Like, I mean, I find them interesting, but even the math sections and some of the descriptive techniques, I mean, it's just two pages of babble to the majority of people and so i mean i think if it's entertaining for me it can stay so like errata all of that was very entertaining for me but in this case it wasn't entertaining for me because i don't care about machines most of the time way more interested in bio so this would be a really if if i wanted to flesh it out i could actually go into the real techniques associated with like some of these propulsion systems and some of the tracking systems and Like, Kaz is much more on the mechanical and computing side, and I don't like that side, so it was very easy to just kind of skip over all the technical bits. But if in rewrite, if somebody cares about that, I mean, I could go... Those sections were legitimately kind of based on real ideas, so those could be fleshed out into something a little bit more technical, which might be worth it. I don't... I don't know. I don't know if anyone's... If anyone gets excited about that, you know, I don't know if it's good for the character development or if it's good for story building to really get into the engineering associated with some of these things or the science associated with some of these things. Um, I really liked the psionics, but I didn't use them. It took me a minute to get used to the stars without number rules, so I really liked the shells and I really liked the psionics, but I didn't follow the rules consistently in the beginning. I did. I started towards the end, and I kind of got it together. But but that transition is a little bit rough. So if I was going to rewrite that, I would probably think about moving some of the psionic stuff, the rules, into the early parts of the story, and keeping it way more consistent throughout. And then adding some greater depth to Hoshi, I think would be fun. Because I did. I think. Uh, well. I don't know, I kind of like having it just about Cass and then you just kinda of get these glimpses of the stuff that Hoshi's not telling him because I think that adds to the whole like dynamic of their relationship, right? Of you know, Hoshi just does stuff and then annoys people around him. And I, I like that. Um it feels very realistic. Okay. Shadowrun was another excellent world-building RPG that I thought was fantastic, so I liked the world out of Shadowrun, I liked the randomized table building out of Stars Without Number and the psionics and the shells out of Stars Without Number, and then I liked the character development out of Dungeons & Dragons. So that was kind of a nice mismatch of stuff uh, that, that came together pretty nicely. So overall, I think it was a very successful writing exercise. I'm very proud of it. It's a good read for not having any point, right? I didn't sit down to write this because I was feeling inspired with some sort of deep emotional connection to Kaz. Didn't care about Kaz. Rolled him randomly. That was his whole thing. Um, But I did kind of lean into second person. So towards the end, I was actually kind of feeling better about second person. It is extremely hard to write in second person, so that was unpleasant, but a very good exercise. And I I think it did definitely give a choose-your-own-adventure feel or like a video game feel to it that's kind of unique. So that was a positive experience. I don't really want to do it again, but but it was really interesting to roll that second person and then have to think about things like you were in a first-person shooter, And then maybe that's why Kaz developed his, uh, love of firearms. One, because he was little, right? So the character I rolled for him was like five, six and a hundred pounds. And he was very small. Um, and so I felt like a small person in his situation would gravitate towards firearms because of insecurity and all that. So the character worked out nicely, but then the additional second person, I think kind of pushed it into that first person shooter view um video game style which added it added a different a different vibe to it that I think was successful the part that I didn't like was when they were on the jungle world getting the panopticon i had a really hard time with that whole sequence of events so the first time you see Cheo the first time you get the feeling that Theel is actually hunting them not them hunting Theel I don't think I brought that out very well and I don't think that the jungle world came out great. I didn't spend a lot of time doing any world building or experiments, I just rolled like underground sewer, uh, ruined space station, and jungle world, and I didn't really expand on that very well. Um, The other part I didn't really like was the mercenary ship. I think it worked out better because giving Hoshi a backstory of, like, being a medic to mercenaries as his childhood development portion, I think was good. Um, So I think that kind of tied it up a little bit better, but the initial role was super random, and I didn't particularly enjoy writing that section, even though it was sort of necessary for, like, Kaz to develop a spine, and then Kaz to figure out that he could use firearms and kind of have some options with stuff. Yeah. And I actually liked the fact that you don't find out that Kaz is male, overtly. I like that. Because it was interesting, when the beta readers read the first couple chapters, if I gave it to a guy, he immediately thought that the main character was female. And if I gave it to a girl, she thought the main character was male. And I kind of liked that. I don't, I don't know why it was opposite. I don't know why people had that instinctive association, but it, it definitely was pretty consistent that, you know, depending on the gender of the reader, they would immediately assume the opposite gender of the main protagonist. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I really like that. And I really like the opportunity that second person gives you to do that because you don't have to. Like You can genuinely put yourself in that person's shoes, except it's obviously not you, right? So you're experiencing this other gender as if it was an other gender, which was a unique little organic development that I wasn't expecting, but it's kind of cool. So I will keep it the way it is. Um, Probably no rewrites for this one. Like I said, it was a writing exercise, not really a Heartfelt cry into the void of something important, but it was definitely fun, and I think that it came out pretty darn well for what it is. So, I'll go ahead and publish this on Amazon, per usual, and tune in because I'm going to offer it for free, like I normally do, for the full three weeks, so you can get the free copy, all compiled. And then I also put it on Amazon Vela, so you can read each episode like week by week for those people that like that, because um, I guess some people get overwhelmed by long works and they don't want to read the whole thing. So I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to try out Amazon Bella and see what it does, uh, since I've made a grand total of $20 over the past two years of all my published works. Oh, that's amazing. All right, so the next one I'm thinking, I kind of want to try a screenplay, like a proper screenplay. I kind of want to do it with stars without number and actually pay attention to the rules this time because I definitely did not do that consistently for this one. Um, and I kind of want to try something a little bit more homey. So something a little bit lo- more locally based. So no gallivanting through the galaxy, no stars, no... No big picture galactic corporations, like, well, there can be galactic corporations, but little, like, so we're going to try and focus it down on these little experiences. Um, And I think I'm going to publish Bad Company as part of the Sensitive series, because the Sensitive series seems to have a first person, a third person, and now a second person. And they all kind of seem to be falling into the same world. So the more I do this type of, like... RPG based stuff, like I seem to be developing a a consistent worldview that's an amalgamation of all these worlds, and I keep going back to it over and over again. So the all of the major historical events and all of the major I don't know, like the corporations, the worlds, um, all of the scream. The psionics, all of those are kind of in different places along the same timeline in this world that is creating itself out of this RPG randomized place. So obviously I have a world in mind, I just haven't, like, developed it. Uh, But the RPG experience is doing that, so I'm just going to let it do its thing, and I'm just going to loosely clump all of those bits in the same series because I want to and nobody cares, so I will do the thing. Okay, so this concludes Bad Company, and I will start my next one presumably after I move to Japan. Uh, I am hoping to start work on the Fido Technologies book as well. I think that one will be great. Uh, It's just really, really hard, so I have to take that one in little baby steps, but I could probably knock out some of these writing exercises sooner rather than later. So thank you so much for listening, and um, please enjoy Bad Company.